Let's pray. Father, we do stand before you tonight in awe of you, in awe of what you have made, what you've created, and what you have done in sending Jesus to die for our sins. And we pray, Father, that you would humble our hearts before you and that you would help us to see our Savior and to love him with all our hearts. Forgive us our sins, Father. Forgive us our laziness. Forgive us our fear and cowardice. And forgive us our faithlessness. Help us, Father, to long after heaven, to long after Christ, to long after godliness. Use my words tonight to build us up and to strengthen us for the work that you've called us to do. Help us, strengthen us by your word through the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How's everybody doing? Good. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. We'll begin reading in verse 8. And Stephen, who's Stephen again? Deacon, newly minted. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. In gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And we're going to keep going. We're going to get through, I think, all of seven tonight. We'll come back to it again. Okay? But I want to start by uh, reestablishing in our minds the context here. What's going on? What's going on in the early church? What's happened so far? What's happened in Acts? Okay, so Pentecost happened. That's one thing that's happened. What happened at Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came in power upon the disciples. And then what happened? Many were converted. By many, do you mean like tens and twenties or hundreds or several thousands, right? Okay, so thousands of people are converting, are coming to Christ. How are they, how is this happening? Is it magical? There's preaching, right? Preaching, what kind of preaching have we seen so far in Acts? What kind of preaching have we seen so far in Acts? 
I, I heard the word fiery. I heard the word straightforward. Huh? Bold. Direct. Authoritative. Any other adjectives? Unafraid. Okay, rebuke. Yeah. There was a lot of rebuke going on. What was the content? What was the content of their message? This Jesus whom you crucified. What came next? Do you remember? Not came to save you. Depends on which time we're talking about, doesn't it? Because they said it more than once. God raised from the dead. God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. So preaching, right? Preaching, preaching Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected from the dead. And always, always putting their fingers on what? The sins of the people in front of them, right? You killed him, you crucified him. Throwing it in their faces. It's pretty intense, right? Thousands of people are, are coming to faith, and then what begins to happen? Persecution begins to happen. Persecution. What, what, do, you, what do you mean persecution begins to happen? They call them bad names? So, the very first thing that happens is what? Who's arrested? Peter and John are arrested. And what happens to Peter and John when they're arrested? Do they end up getting beaten? The very first time, I don't think they were beaten. I could be wrong. I think they were just charged not to. Did they beat them? No, you're crazy. There's lots of persecution happening in Acts. It's hard to keep it all straight. Yeah, I don't think the first time that they beat them. I think they just charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, to which the apostles responded. Yeah, whether it's right to, serve, to obey God rather than men, we'll let you be the judge. Right? And then they go out, and they go back to the church, which is ashamed of them and recoiling from them and saying, guys... Can't you just be a little more sensitive and sweet and kind when you preach? Then this wouldn't happen. No? No. 
No, what actually happens is they rejoice, they pray, they rejoice. There's another arrest that I think they are beaten that time. Um, They rejoice that they're found worthy to suffer for the name of Christ, right? But just the same, the church is still growing. The church is still growing. And in large numbers, multitudes and multitudes are coming to faith in Christ. And so that's the context. And the church is growing so big and so fast that what happens? There are some logistical problems. Some people aren't being fed and taken care of. And so they appoint deacons to be sure that the poor, the widows are cared for. And, and to be sure that the apostles are free to devote themselves to preaching and to praying so that they don't have to also be devoted to being sure that all the widows are taken care of, right? So they're committed to two things, caring for the widow and the poor, being sure that that's not an oversight, but protecting then also the preaching of the word in prayer. So that's the context, and so in that context, Stephen is ordained, set apart as a deacon to serve the church, to serve the widows. But is that all that Stephen does? What does it say? Great wonders and signs. Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. What kinds of great wonders and signs do you expect he was doing? Healing people, very likely. What else? Anything else you can imagine? It's probably casting out demons. Okay, so healing people and casting out demons. Okay, anything objectionable about that? Does it say that he's preaching? He's not even preaching, is he? He doesn't appear to be. He just appears to be doing wonderful things, serving people. Then what happens is some people who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen, your translation may say libertines, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. Now why would anybody rise up and dispute with a man that was healing people? Well, it doesn't quite say that he was saying anything yet. I don't know why. We're not really given a reason. Maybe jealousy. Certainly, Stephen was talking to people. He wasn't just like, he didn't have tape over his mouth, right? Well, they disputed with him they disputed with him, and when they disputed with him, they, they, they couldn't stand up to anything he had to say back to them, right? They tried to find fault with him. They wanted to find fault with him, and they couldn't manage to find fault with him. I think it's significant that no reason is given, and one of the reasons I think it's significant that no reason is given is that it's just generally true that wherever the word of God is faithfully preached, people will be opposing it. You don't even need to know why. It's just what happens. 
Wherever God's work is being done, wherever the Lord is at work, there will be opposition. Doesn't matter why, we know the deeper why. The deeper why is that man in his sinful state is opposed to God. And so wherever God's at work, there's a visceral reaction that you may not even understand yourself if you're the one reacting. You just know that you oppose it. You know that you don't like it. You know that it makes you uncomfortable. You know that you need some reason, some way to find fault with it. And so you may start out like these guys, disputing. But then you quickly find yourself overmatched. Because your shallow reasoning cannot stand up to the wisdom of God. And so then what do they do? They know their reasoning doesn't get them anywhere. It's going to be shot down quickly. Quickly shot down. Because there's no real reason. They just don't like it because it's of God and they're not. So they don't want to go and deal with Stephen directly anymore because it's humiliating, right? It's humiliating to go and deal with Stephen directly because Stephen's going to shoot them down because he's speaking with the wisdom and power of God. They can't do that. They have to go round about. What do they do then? They secretly instigate men. So what are they doing? They're going around... And they're talking to people, and they're slandering Stephen, and they're instigating men, and they're telling lies, and they're getting men to say lies, because Stephen has to be dealt with and shut up one way or another. They can't do it honestly and in the light, because they're wrong, and they stand self-condemned. And so the best they can do is go around and develop a faction of people that are opposed to Stephen. And subvert Stephen through their lies. We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Lie. But this is what always happens where there's the faithful preaching of the word. This is what happens. This is how people respond to it. They hate it. They can't withstand the, the, the power of it. And so they quietly, in back rooms and dark corners, mock, laugh, ridicule, lie. Right? That's what happens. Never in the light, never to anybody's face, because that would be manly, courageous. Also foolish, because you would be shot down and you would have to be exposed. They stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes that came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council and they set up false witnesses. He said, this man, set up false wit- or, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place in the law. True or false? False. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. True or False. Probably true. Probably true.
And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, what's the accusation? He's he's blaspheming. He's going against Scripture. He's contradicting Scripture. He's blaspheming. He's speaking against the faith once for all handed down to the saints. And so what does Stephen do? The high priest looks to Stephen. Stephen's there, innocent, godly, full of the spirit, full of power and wisdom, glowing like the face of an angel, whatever that means. The high priest says, are these things so? And I want to work through this sermon, and I want you to feel how obnoxious it is. It really is obnoxious. If you were there, you would have, you, I think you would have been angry. So I'm going to try to help you feel why I think that. And some of you are looking at me askance saying, you're crazy. Well, I think if that's true, then you don't know yourself. Think about this. You're all Jews, okay? You've all grown up in the church. You've been taught from the scriptures your whole life. Morning and evening, this is your life. You know the word inside and out. You know your history. You know your heritage inside and out. The whole point is that this man, Stephen, is on trial for not knowing the word inside and out and, in fact, subverting it. And so he's going to give you a lesson And he's going to go through the most basic things imaginable. And he's going to recite stories that my six-year-old son can stand up here and recite to you. He's giving them a Sunday school lesson. Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. He's saying this to the high priest. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) News to me, Stephen, thanks. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. In case you didn't know, we're all here because of Abraham. He said to the high priest in the council. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that, They shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. No kidding. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. 
And Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. Every person there knew which patriarch they descended from. Not news to any of them. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan in great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. What is he doing? Why does he feel compelled to summarize the book of Genesis to the chief priests and elders of the people? That's all he did. He just summarized it. Was there an edge to it? Did you hear an edge? Was he, was he making an apologetic for Christ? Was he making an accusation? Can you imagine what they were thinking while he said this stuff? I think they were just... But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. So much for the first couple of chapters of Exodus. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, is there edge yet? I don't think you'd see it if you were sitting there. But there's starting to be edge. It's not clear yet. They don't have, I don't think they have a clue where he's going. I think they're still sitting there. What are you trying to say? Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. 
Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them, and now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him but thrust him aside and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, as for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know him. We do not know what has become of him. The heat turning up. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Rephan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tents of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? And if it wasn't hot, if you didn't get the point yet, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. What was Stephen's defense? What was the accusation again? Blasphemy not knowing, understanding, or honoring the law of the scriptures. How did Stephen respond? How would you have responded? How would you have responded? Defensively, right? No! I don't. See? See? Let me show you all the ways that... No, that's not true. That's not... No. 
Probably, right? Don't you think that's how you would have responded? Wanting to vindicate and justify yourself? No, 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 no. No. I'm respectable. You should listen to me. Let's be reasonable here. These guys are liars. Come on, let's talk about this. Let me show you my credentials. Let me show you that I know what I'm talking about. Let's have a forum. What does he do? Here he is before the court. They have power over his life. (laughs) And he just pulls off his gloves. He goes right after them. You dared it, you accuse me of not knowing or honoring the law of God. Let me, let me give you a Sunday school lesson. Scribes, elders, chief priests. There once, once upon a time, there was a man named Abraham. You may have heard of him. Did you learn nothing from the law at all? Did you learn nothing? Oh, yes, you honor the traditions of your father's. Yes, you're very good at honoring the traditions of your fathers. That's why you killed Jesus. They are indeed your fathers, aren't they? Grumbled against Moses. Rejected Moses. Killed all the prophets. Now you've filled it up and you've killed the one that came to save you from your sins. You stiff-necked people, you always resist the Holy Spirit. But good thing for us, Stephen ended with a word of hope and encouragement and pointed them all to Jesus for forgiveness of their sins. He didn't bother, did he? He didn't get there. As we go through Acts, we're going to find this over and over and over again, and I'm going to point it out to you every single time. These guys, the way they preached... It's not like you want us to preach. It's not like you want me to preach. These guys, they spoke with power by the Holy Spirit. And they came hard. And they did not care what people thought. They didn't care at all. They cared about people's souls. That's not the same thing as caring about what people think. Those two things are mutually opposed to one another. 
to truly care for someone's soul, you can't care what they think. You can't care what they think. Because it's so counterintuitive. What they need to love them is the truth. What they need is to have their sins thrust in their face. It's what they're doing all the time. It's what they're doing. It's what Jesus is doing to people. You know, couldn't he, with the the adulterous woman, have you ever actually read it and thought what you would feel and think if you were there? The story of the adulterous woman at the well? You know what I'm talking about? Why can't he just let it be and take a drink and say thank you? No, he's just got to go out and say, you know, you're kind of a whore, aren't you? That's right. (laughs) Hey, go call your husband. I don't have a husband. That's right, you don't have a husband, do you? You've had five. And the man you're sleeping with now is not your husband, is he? He wasn't mocking her. He was putting his finger right, right on the pain. Right on the sin, right on the wound. He cared too much. He didn't have time to waste. Peter, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter, again, you crucified him. Stephen. You you persecuted the prophets. You always resist uncircumcised in heart and ears, stiff-necked. You killed, betrayed and murdered the righteous one, the Christ. You who received the laws from angels and did not keep it. You have to, as you go through Acts and as you go through the New Testament, you have to hear with fresh ears, what? What is preaching? What saves men's souls? What, save, what will save my soul? What will God use to change my heart and make me more like Christ? And you need to clog your ears and run from the sirens who are constantly telling you that anybody who points out your sin, who convicts you of sin, is doing it wrong somehow. It's a lie. It's a lie. The world's full of ear ticklers. If you don't want ear ticklers, you will die. They don't care about you. And you need to hold me accountable. You need to hold all of your pastors and elders accountable to what you see in Scripture. You need to hold us up and encourage us. 
Give us faith to be faithful. You'll either love the word and love the word faithfully preached, or you will find yourself in opposition to it. You'll love it or you'll hate it. You'll love it and you'll love the messenger that brings it to you, or you'll find yourself in back rooms, mocking, slandering, without the courage or the faith to say anything, because you know deep down that you're just wrong just wrong and you really just don't want to face your sin now you may be thinking that I'm trying to defend my own preaching in some sideways way and I tell you the truth I'm not and I'm not trying to defend Pastor Bailey's preaching in some sideways way I'm not what I'm doing, what I'm trying to do is simply open up the word and tell you what you should learn from it, okay? This is what we see in this passage. That's what we see in this passage. We see two different kinds, well, we see only one kind of response in this passage, at least so far. They just hate it. And it's actually the first time that we've seen the overwhelming response be hatred, right? So far, the overwhelming response has been positive. Thousands coming to faith. But faithful preaching doesn't always mean thousands coming to faith, does it? Thousands coming to faith isn't always the mark of good faithful preaching, is it? What is, what's Stephen's reward for his faithful preaching here? Verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. Have you ever been so enraged that you've gritted and ground your teeth? But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said probably the most obnoxious thing that they could have heard at that point. Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Again. If you can't put yourself in the position of the stoners, you've got a problem, right? 
If you've ever felt before opposition in you to the preaching of the word, and he just keeps being more godly, and now he's forgiving you while you're stoning him to death, like you've got the stone in your hand and you hear him crying out, Lord, forgive them, they know not what they do, and somehow you manage to find a little more strength in you to throw it that much harder, I think. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you see that in you? Do you see the crowds in your heart? Do you see Saul in your heart? It's all in us, all over. It runs deep down. This is who we are, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So what are we to do? What are we to do? There's only one thing to do. Bring it out into the light. Confess our sins and repent of them. See our sin and hate it. Learn to hate it. Put it to death in us. Pray and cry out to God to change our hearts and make them more like Christ. See, every time we find the impulse in us to be censorious, you know the word censorious? Thesaurus? Judgmental, but more than just judgmental. Judgmental, you can be judgmental and quiet. Oppressive. Oppressive, wanting to shut somebody up. Oppressive in your response. Censorious to the godliness of others. To the godly impulses of others. Judgmental is good, it's broader, right? Because it covers you just kind of quietly resenting, sitting in judgment on the guy who a girl who's trying to be godly who would actually have the faith to say something like Lord do not hold this sin against them and that's a hard thing to say 
it's not a hard thing to say if you're like a, a flighty, super spiritual person who goes around pretending to be spiritual because there are people that can just do that and pretend and put on a pious front, right? And that's disgusting. But to see that as disgusting and to see and feel and know your own sin and then in faith to still be able to say, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That's tough. That requires faith. Because it puts both sides to shame. Puts the superficial spiritual person to shame. Puts the worldly, gutless, faithless, cynical to shame. hard to live by faith. Okay. At the end of the day, love Jesus, hate your sin, Love the truth. Love those who speak the truth. Tell the truth. Have faith. God will help you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the example of righteous Stephen. We pray, Father, that we would be strengthened and encouraged by his example, which you have recorded for us, for our strengthening, as you've recorded the example of all the saints in the book of Acts for us. We pray that, you'd be in, that we would be encouraged um, by the faith of your godly ones who have gone on before and suffered for the sake of the name of Christ. We pray that we would be faithful in the, in following in their train. We pray that you would help us, Father, to see our sin and to hate it and to forsake it. In Jesus' name, amen.